The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM in Tallahassee and streaming online live around the world on wvfs.fsu.edu. If you miss any of the show, you can go back and listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. We would love for you to call into the show if you want to talk NFL football, Florida State hoops, whatever's on your mind. You can do so by calling 850-644-3871. That's 850-644-3871. We'd love to hear from you. I am Brett Rutherford filling in for Gabe Tisnes tonight, and I am pumped to be back in this chair for the first time in a year and a half. I host of this show from January 2020 until about August 2020, and after graduating, I'm, I'm glad to be back here in the host chair for the first time. And tonight, I am joined by my co-host, and who is also my broadcast partner down the street over on, on Apple Yard Drive for TCC Athletics, it's William Haynes. And William, I, I know you made the trip to Tampa and back again this weekend, another Bucks playoff game, um, but after, after this specific game, I'm sure you're drained both emotionally and physically after all that travel. We'll get into the specifics of the game later. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, but I just want to check in. Like, how, how are you doing, buddy? It's excruciating, Brett. Uh, I mean, it's hard <laughs> to draw up if you're scripting a heartbreaking loss as good as it was on Sunday. I think ultimately I'm happy for the comeback. I'm glad that, you know, they didn't just go out uh, without a fighter's chance. You knew at 27-3 at to 3 that Brady was going to, uh, you know, fight and claw his way back into that game, which he did, but uh, the, the secondary, which has been a huge weakness the whole year to let the team down, and then Matt Gay, yeah. uh, who was a horrible kicker for the Buccaneers a couple of seasons ago, <laughs> to put the dagger right in the hearts of all Buccaneer fans uh, around the world. It was tough, uh, and, and tough for a season and potentially an era of Buccaneers football to come to an end, but as you mentioned, yeah, it's been great calling TCC games with you, and this weekend, for the first time, debuting as the voice of FSU Hockey, we're going to go down to Palm Beach uh, and play a couple of games there, so that'll be fun. So things are going a little bit better on that front. Yeah, it sure is. I'm, I'm excited. TCC men's basketball in the full swing of things in Panhandle Conference play. we got baseball and softball starting up soon, and, and William and I will be we'll bringing you all of that action over on over at TCC. Also on the show tonight, Jack Oliaro. Jack, what's going on, man? I'm not doing well <laughs> because I don't think we'll ever see a better weekend of football than what we witnessed this past weekend. Uh, if you didn't enjoy this weekend, then football just isn't for you. I mean, that's an interesting take. You, you think, wow, you know, we had, a, we had such a great weekend of sports, both college basketball, football, some soccer, if you're into that sort of thing, and I know you and I both are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's like, oh, it's over now. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're sitting here on a Monday. Will we ever have a weekend like that again, or will we ever have a weekend like that anytime soon? I, I don't know. I think, I think you got the right perspective here. It doesn't seem like it, especially going into, well, we have an international break in soccer. Yeah. I got the, uh, at least we have the championships going on for uh, championship games going on for the NFL. So things could be, things could be better, but we take what we can get. But don't think we can beat last weekend. Definitely not. And rounding out our panel is my old friend, Matt Povtak, a V89 veteran. Matt, what's up? What's up, Brett, man? It's great to see you back in that chair. You look comfortable in it. Um, Thank you. And, you know, I could not be more excited to be back here on a better weekend to talk about sports. You know, like Jack said, can't get better than that. Yeah, there is no shortage of content for us this week. I I think I picked a good week to come back and and fill in for a night. So also going to shout out AJ LaCourcier. He's running our Twitter and on the ones and twos, as always, our producer, Scott Clemens. All right, gentlemen, I think we got to jump right in. Uh, last night's game between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs, an instant classic, goes into overtime. The Chiefs ultimately come out with the victory. And, William, I, I, 
was this the greatest NFL playoff game you've ever seen? I, I would actually volunteer that the Buccaneers-Rams was, was one of the better playoff games okay. that I've ever seen. But the, the Chiefs-Bills certainly did live up to the billing. Everyone was hoping for that shootout. And usually when you have those two high-powered offenses, it does not always uh, uh, come up as you hope. But this one certainly did not disappoint. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. You know, we're, we're both Bucks fans. And uh, I was going to ask you, before we jump into the game, that, that drive from, from Tampa to Tallahassee and back, what is your go-to stop on those drives? Where do you stop on I-75 or I-10? Are you a busy bee sort of guy? You know, no free ads, but what, what, what's your routine? I've done that drive dozens of times now. And I know, you're, you, know you, you probably haven't done it as much yet, but, but right now, what's your routine? I'm a convenience guy, not big into the routine. If I see a, a, a Golden Arches and McDonald's, I'll stop in, maybe okay. a Steak and Shake here and there. That was my, my stop yesterday only because, you know, the heartbreak from that loss could only be filled with a cookies and cream milkshake. Um, but, yeah, it's really just wherever uh, I can stop off. And, and, and you kind of you guys see what I'm doing here. You know, I'm dodging going into the game. I'm still <laughs> feeling all the pain. But going back to, to the Chiefs and Bills, is there any doubt? that these are the top two quarterbacks right now in the NFL? No. Clearly, that, that, that was a game. Uh, Josh Allen played maybe the game of his career, I think, uh, along with Gabe Davis. Shout out Seminole uh, High School yeah. alumni. Uh, you can't have a better final five minutes of football, I would say, in maybe not a lot of defense, but is it less defense or is it just great offense? That's the question because both of the quarterbacks were dealing. They were making plays that – you would see in highlights over the years in each all in this one game. I mean, this was you saw the Bills playing New England offensively and maybe throughout you know all aspects of the game. Pitched a perfect game last week. Like they were incredible. There was not a single misstep from that Buffalo team, and to see them carry that over offensively mm-hmm. against the Chiefs, who I know def- you know aren't the greatest defensive team ever, but to do it back to back weeks, now do it on the road in a playoff game, was 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 incredible and. Even though they're, this is the end of the road for them, I, I think Bills fans can't, you know, you, you know, you've got Josh Allen for the foreseeable future, probably the next 10 plus years, right? And you've already got pieces around him to compete starting again next year. You've got to be really excited about where you are because I don't think there's a better quarterback or a better, or a team that has a better chance in the AFC for the next few years than the team you played last night. So if you can figure out, and they were really close to doing it, they were 13 seconds away mm-hmm. uh, from, from doing it. If you can figure out a way to just overcome them, you you are in pole position to to bring a Super Bowl to Buffalo as early as early as next year. Agreed. Jack, thoughts on the game? It really was an offense. It, it was and not an offensive, but a very uh, <laughs> scoring. How should I say? Scoring uh, affair. It was it was a tremendous watch. Um, and it's one of those games where it, like it really it wasn't just like you know all gas no breaks for the entirety of it, where it was a fifty six fifty six like we had the Chiefs and Rams Monday night a couple years ago. Yeah. But it was like defensively sound really up until because it was 14-14 right. at the half. And then just it really was just the last really last five or three minutes where um, do the is again, do the defenses are, are the defenses falling off? Is it the offenses taking control? The romantic side of me wants to say it's the offenses because you're, you're right. These are the two guys that are probably in contention to be the best uh, quarterbacks for the foreseeable future and for the Bills. Remember a month ago, we weren't even sure if they were kings of their own division. Now it looks like they could be ruling the conference, maybe not this year, but pretty soon down the line. And they got a pretty good guy in Josh Allen, one of the best defenses around, and a solid running game to back that. There's no reason why we shouldn't see them back to the divisionals next year, 
and or next year or even to the conference or a Super Bowl is definitely not out of the question. And as for the Chiefs, what a resounding um, result! Four straight AFC championships. Are Chiefs the new Patriots? Are are we are we leaning towards that yet? Are we leaning towards Brady like dominance you, from? You, you've got to uh, win another Holmes? Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, you've got to win that second to really get into that into that category. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe this is the year. You look at the rest of the field and you think. The Chiefs have to be the overwhelming favorites now. The Bucks dropped off. The Packers dropped off. If they can do it again, yeah, I think you're you're right there. They, Mahomes' worst year as a starter was an AFC Championship loss to Tom Brady. Exactly. Like, yeah, you're back in there again. You are, you, like I said, if you know, I talked about the Bills and how excited they should be. Well, the Chiefs, you're looking at the rest of the AFC. Yeah, maybe Mac Jones improves in New England. Maybe they become an, a perennial contender once again. But in terms of teams that you can count on year in, year out, you're looking at the team you just beat last night. You're looking at the Buffalo Bills, you think, yeah, we can repeat that. We've already been getting to this game for the last four years. Mm-hmm. Why can't we do it for the next ten with Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes? In a similar style, I think, to Brady. But you've got to get the rings to go with it, and that's, that's what true. the Patriots did. They lost a few Super Bowls, but they, they won plenty as well. All so. NFC East opponents Brady lost, too. That's, that, and that is true. Uh, going back to what you said, though, the defense did kind of back off in the second half, but the reason I think this game was so great Everyone's going to talk about the finish for, for years, right? Forever. That fourth quarter and then that, that overtime period. But this game in the first half was back and forth. You saw good defense from both sides. You saw both teams kind of have to make adjustments into how they were going to try and win this football game. I think that, William, going back to you saying how there's maybe more craziness, even with the craziness in this game, more craziness in that Rams-Bucks games in terms of just how that game turned on its head at some point during the second half. This was a back-and-forth game for different reasons throughout the first and second half and then into overtime. And before you know, we bury the lead too much here, I think we've got to jump into the way that game finished. You saw the Bills take the lead with 13 seconds left. They have a three-point lead. And everybody jokingly on Twitter, because the, the, the joke is when you leave an, a, 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 an MVP quarterback with you know, any, any t- more time than 45 seconds, Oh, you left him too much time. You left Aaron Rodgers too much time. Brady too much time. Mahomes too much time. But 13 seconds, that's that's ball game. That, 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 that has to be the end of the game. Bills are going to win. Patrick Mahomes finds a way to put the Chiefs in the field goal range. They tie it, go to overtime, get the ball to start overtime, and go down to win. William, I'm just going to ask you straight up, do the overtime rules in the National Football League need to change? I would say no. There's been times watching the NFL where I wish that it was more like college rules, and I know people get all riled up about that. But I think, you know, when the overtime rule was it's it's sudden death that the first field goal ends the game, I thought that was unreasonable. But then they changed it and said, hey, you get the ball to start overtime. If you can drive, you know, 75, 80 yards down the field and score a touchdown, that's game. You know, if the other team wants a chance, get a stop. And that's what I would say to Buffalo and Leslie Frazier's defense that was ranked number one in the NFL this season. If you wanted to give Josh Allen the ball back, it was within your power to get the stop, and they just didn't do it. William, I got to disagree with you there, man. Josh, uh, as an NFL fan, you can't not want to see both teams get the ball there. I know, especially with the last two minutes, with how those teams went down and scored at the end of regulation, you you almost know that whoever gets the ball first is winning this game. And really, it comes down to a 50-50 chance, heads or tails, tails failed, uh, Josh Allen got the call wrong, and that's what sent him home, evidently. Um, I just need, I need to have both teams see the ball, whether it's, you know, don't have them going back and forth like college where it's eight overtimes, but put a, a certain amount of time on the clock and let them play. 
you know, and let them play out the time. I'm going to add on to that because I, I think most of us can agree that after this game, we need a bare minimum. Both teams need a possession. We were robbed of a classic. We were robbed of a Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Sorry, you. Well, I don't think we were robbed of a classic. I don't think we how, were robbed how the game of, ended. We were robbed of an even better classic. Okay. I think that's a, maybe a better term. Because I've I've been on the losing end. I've seen <laughs> on the losing end of this where um, I'm from Atlanta. Uh, I've seen the Falcons go to OT when they blow a lead with one possession. A coin a coin flip should not decide the outcome of a game. I understand if you want to get possession first, that maybe says something. But the fact that you get a pos- if the fact that if you flip a coin and get it wrong, and you don't see the ball if you're Josh Allen, that's that's messed up. All right. So can I say we're in full agreement? And I don't know if we are. I think Matt is on in agreement on this, and I, th- I think William will be too. I don't know about you, Jack. That the NFL overtime rules, while they might need to be adjusted are currently better than the college overtime rules as they're, they're currently laid out. Well, the co- college adjusted recently to make really overtime's a joke once you get past three. Right, and it's with really the easy to once you're on, when everybody gets the ball on the 25. Uh, the nine-overtime game earlier this year with Illinois-Penn State was a bit of a joke. It's just two points. Yeah. And, I mean, and if the team fails to get two points, um, you know, you go to go further. It doesn't resemble a football game. It, it doesn't. It, it's completely different from what we saw for it 60 minutes of football. It doesn't, and we don't want to see that. Um, no one really wanted to see a bunch of two-point plays. But, again, if you're going to multiple OTs, it kind of becomes to the point where it's like, all right, someone needs to do something and end this game because, you know, people need to go to sleep. It's a school night, something along those lines. But um, in terms of the NFL, both teams need to at least see possession. Uh, maybe start them at the 50, maybe. Okay. And give, them, give them X amount of time. Maybe give... Start on the 50. Again, this can be adjusted, but I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe start on the 50, give them a minute. So it's still crunch time football. Oh, like so that. you don't have you're not you're not melting clock. You're not doing a f- 5-minute drive maybe that the Chiefs Maybe one timeout or one, no timeouts. Maybe one or two, but I wouldn't maybe one per, if we're doing per overtime period, okay. maybe one. And I would just do yeah. Maybe start on the 50, you get 1 minute, and if, you know, you can't do it, you obviously have the field goal to hit it and, you know, it's it's something to start with. I just Imagine if Josh on the ball. That's all I gotta say. Before we we continue this discussion, because I think everybody will have some some of their own opinions, I want to go back to what Jack said about the coin toss deciding the game. Because at first I kind of balk at that statement. I kind of think, well, you know, that's not true. Like William said, the Bills could have got the ball back. All they had to do is make a stop. I'm looking at the overtime uh, numbers, the win loss totals for teams that won the coin toss under the current rules, which were I think 2010 for the playoffs, where you have to score a touchdown to end it on the first possession. Then they implemented that in 2012 in the regular season. In regular season games, there have been 163 overtime games under the new rules. The team that wins the toss only wins those games 52.8% of the time. 86 of the 163, they the team that wins the toss wins. You think with that size, that sample size, that's not a super significant advantage for the team with the ball. However, you look at the 11 overtime games under the over the new overtime rules. 10 of those 11 games have been won by the team that wins the toss. So either one of two things is happening here. Either one, we've just got too small of a sample size. This will begin to even out to closer to that number we've seen in the regular season. Or the games are managed and played completely differently in, in the postseason. And I think that's probably true. There's no potential to tie in a playoff game. You've got to play to win, and we've seen some head coaches play to tie in, in the regular season. doesn't happen often, but we've seen 10 ties in the, under the new rules. And you, you, 
you're playing to where you're pressing, right? It's the playoffs. Your season's on the line. You're on defense, and I think you saw the Bills do this. You're trying to make a play happen to get the ball back into your quarterback's hands. And ultimately, when you're doing that against an offense that has Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey, it's not going to go very well for you, and I think that's what happened in last night's game. Yeah, I think another factor that to adds on to what you were saying is it's playoff football. They just played four quarters against the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the most electrifying offenses in the NFL. They're tired, you know? Mm-hmm. This this is why we see overtimes in in playoffs right away, first score, is these guys have just played their hearts out for four quarters, and you're asking them to go out there again and stop them one more time, and it's... it's Especially how we saw that game end. Like, yeah. you know, if it was a 10-10 game, you'd think, oh, all you gotta do is make a stop, but we, we know that these offenses were firing at all cylinders. They have been for the last couple of weeks. Even the Chiefs, they had their dip in the regular season. Now, I will say, I don't feel bad for Josh Allen. I don't feel bad for the Buffalo Bills. Like William said, the rules are laid out. The Bills, all they do is make a stop. I mean, of course it's difficult. You're playing Patrick Mahomes. It's the playoffs. He's good for a reason. I don't feel bad for them. But those are the rules. I don't think they were. Uh, I don't think we were robbed of anything. But I do think you, you need to maybe adjust the rules to ensure that either team gets a possession. I say that because and I'll go to you a second, Jack. In, in in the game of football, the only time where you can score, whether it be a field goal or a touchdown, and get the ball right back is if you do it at the end of the first half and you get the ball to start the second half. The Chiefs. Scored with with, uh, with, uh, with no time left on the clock, and that's also on the Bills, too, letting them drive down the field and kick a field goal with such little time. They scored at the end of regulation and get the ball right back. That doesn't make any sense when the Bills aren't insured another possession. My idea for overtime, and it's probably not perfect because I don't know if there is a perfect way to do it, give us two, I don't know, five-minute halves or two two-minute halves even. Let this play out somewhat like a game of football. You're not going to play a whole other game so what can we do to where each team is ensured a possession, but it's not this back-and-forth thing that doesn't really resemble football where there's you know, no punting, maybe no kickoffs. Let's, let's get a mini football game going. Do five, two five-minute halves and a five-minute halftime where both teams stay in the field, don't go to the locker rooms. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe it'll never happen. Probably, my, in my opinion, better than what we have now. I think the best way, uh, if you want to change the overtime rules the way that they are without making it too gimmicky, I would say the 15-minute overtime period, play it straight, three timeouts, everything, you know, uh, replays in the booth, all that that they regularly do. And whoever's leading at the end of that 15-minute period wins the game. And if it's still tied, then you go to sudden death. But then you still get that advantage of whoever receives the kickoff, in theory, has one more possession. And so at what point do you think... Well, how far how far down the line do we have to go? At some point, someone has to win the game. Oh, I agree, I agree. But you either there's I I agree that because in the game of football, when you do the coin toss, it's not deciding who gets one more possession. It's deciding who's going to get the ball to start the first half and who's going to get the ball to start the second half. And in overtime, that's not what it means. It's the only time in football where that coin toss means you get a, the first chance to win, and then the other team can get it if you don't score a touchdown. And so again, I I'm fine with the rules they are now. If if they kept them, I wouldn't be that upset. I think. They're pretty fair unless you drastically change what you want overtime to be. And because, and, and maybe there's a, a difference between regular season and postseason. Because like Matt said, these guys have just played full four quarters of football. Asking them to go out and play another t- full 10 minutes is a lot. Or a full 15 minutes is a lot. It's a lot on these guys' bodies. And maybe in the regular season, we need to have different rules. Similar how hockey has different rules. They've got three on three and a shootout in the regular season. But in the playoffs, they go full five on five, first person to score wins. They make it as similar to a normal hockey game 
as possible. And maybe the NFL needs to adjust something. Because, yeah, I'm okay with ties in the post in the play, in regular season. I'm okay with the current overtime rules the way they are. But in the playoffs, when there's this much on the line, the se- one team's going to go home at the end of this. I want it to most closely resemble a regular football game. And right now, the current overtime doesn't do that. Yeah, I agree with you. But um, not to backtrack or anything, but back to the, the game, the uh, Buffalo-Kansas City, right before overtime, I have to bring up the question of why Sean McDermott doesn't squib kick with 13 seconds yeah. left and let the clock run. You know, that takes the ball out of Patrick Mahomes. How do these hand. NFL coaches not have a person whose job next is to stand there next to them? Because when you're, when you're an NFL head coach, I'm sure, whether you're an offensive or defensive head coach, you've got a lot going on. You're either play calling, you're strategizing, you're looking at a lot of other things. You've got your hand on the challenge flag. You've got a lot of things on your mind. And we've seen a lot of mistakes made on when to go for two, when to kick a field goal, when to go for it on fourth, when to onside kick. How do you not have, and I think a lot of teams do, and maybe the Bills do too, how do you not have a guy next to you whose job is saying, hey, Sean, I know there's a lot going on right now. We just scored a touchdown to take a lead and maybe go to the NFC title, AFC title game, rather. But let's grip kick it here. I think that's smart. And then Sean's, you know, Sean McDermott can say, oh, yeah, I think 13 seconds left, that's probably the right decision. That only gives Mahomes one play to get to get in the field goal range instead of giving him two plays like he needed to get yeah. there. yeah. One final thing, and I agree, certainly it should have been a, a squib kick, but one thing I also want to add about the Chiefs, when they were at their worst and, and really struggling offensively, you were seeing for the first time a lot of teams playing two high safeties, force them to you know drive mm-hmm. the ball down the field, not a lot of deep passes. Well, Buffalo, as they should have done, they played two high safeties, and they, for the most part, made Patrick Mahomes beat them play-by-play down the field. And in this particular game, Patrick Mahomes had his career high for rushing, seven carries for 69 yards and uh, that was one thing he didn't do a ton of when, when they were losing games and not scoring a lot of points so yeah. if you're going to continue to play the Chiefs with two high safeties just know he could run for 100 yards on you well let's talk about who their, their next opponent will be and that's the Cincinnati Bengals who beat the Tennessee Titans on a game-winning field goal from Evan McPherson over the weekend and uh I gotta say William how lucky is Cincinnati to get through to the next round with this current offensive line they're extremely lucky, and this was something that, that me and Jackson talked about last week. That uh, During the draft last year, we were both of the mind that that pick um, should have been Panay Sewell, the offensive tackle from, from Oregon, who ended up having a, a good rookie season with the a Detroit great Lions. Season. Joe Burrow blew out his knee last season because the offensive line couldn't protect him. I think the narrative around this team was different because they were scoring more points, they were winning games, they looked better as a team. But really, the offensive line was no better, and, it, and it's a problem. They got, you know, everyone knows Joe Burrow got sacked nine times, and there was a couple of sacks that were blown off the field because of a timeout or a penalty. Tennessee basically sacked Cincinnati 11 times if you count them all up. And not only is the offensive line poor, but head coach Zach Taylor is just going with a five-man protection. No running back blocking in the backfield. No tight ends chipping on their way out. You, get, you have this franchise quarterback. You have all these weapons. I don't understand the mindset that you're just going to let him sit back there and get killed. And thankfully, you know, in, in that game, he was the second coming of Joe Montana and was able to overcome it. But, you know, as this competition gets better the next couple of games, if they're too advanced, it's going to be tough to overcome that. I mean, I think this game plan that they had in the Tennessee game probably works against Kansas City. Now, you've still got to be able to outlast them offensively. They did it in week, uh, was that 17 or 18? Uh, they're capable of doing it. It's going to be hard to repeat that performance. But, you know, that Kansas City defense is much, much different. And you're going to need to have, you know, maybe, you know, five wide a couple of times to try to, to beat those DBs, get Jamar Chase into space, figure out who's going to cover him. And I'm not going to knock the Bengals. And, and, and Jack, I guess I'll, I'll turn this to you now. I'm not going to knock the Bengals for, for drafting Jamar Chase because he's 
obvious, so obviously going to be a game-changing wide receiver. Maybe by the end of next year, the undisputed best receiver in the league. He, he's on that trajectory with how incredible of a season he had this year. But with all of that being said, watching that game yesterday and then looking at the road ahead for the Bengals, not only in next week's game against the Chiefs, but if they want to win that and go to the Super Bowl, would you rather have Jamar Chase, and I know you could argue that they wouldn't be here if they didn't have him, or would you rather have for the long term, for not only these next couple games, but the long term with Joe Burrow at quarterback, Panay Sewell? I think you can... I know Panay Sewell coming out was a huge... Um, he was a huge commodity, and it is. It, they did. They did miss on uh, missing him out, but like you pretty much stole what I was going to say. And that Chase is such a game changer, and they're not going to the Super Bowl with this old line. I'm just going to say that like they can't. And if they do, I mean it's Niners or Rams. I just you can't. It's going to be one. It's the worst old line if they do win the Super Bowl or at least even get to the Super Bowl because it's a joke. But without Chase, are they even in the playoffs? That's that's another thing that could be questioned. And but, ultimately, that, that both things can be true. Yes, you know they definitely need upgrades on the offensive line. Panay Sewell would have been great. But yes, it is also true that Jamar Chase is a generational talent and potentially one of the best wide receivers of his generation. Does Sewell fix this offensive line though? Because I looked at that game yesterday, watching some of it back. I mean, every there were got there were holes all over. Right yeah. tackle, left tackle, right guard. Is Panay Sewell going to come in and all of a sudden Joe Burrow's untouchable? I don't think so. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I think they. Like you said, it was a really big gamble to go and take Chase over Sewell. They caught a lot of criticism and flack for it. But I think overall, you look at the, how their season's turned out and how far they've made it, I think he was the right pick. Uh, you know, he's gonna he's most likely going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, besides unless Mac Jones, you know, we could go into yeah. that. But uh, it's one of those two. And, you know, to, to criticize someone for picking the Offensive Rookie of the Year, it's like, what are we doing? Obviously, the O-line has tons of holes in it, and I don't think Sewell fixes them at all. But it would have been a Band-Aid on, you know, something that could be a bigger hole. See, now you've put yourself in a position where you're drafting late in the first round, and who knows what tackle is going to be available by the time you get up next year. But I think they, at least the Bengals are now a threat. Yeah, and that's what they, that's fair. They're a threat now, and you can... You can fix an O-line, and, well, you could have maybe got wide receivers later in the draft, too. And But with if they got Panay Sewell, or Sewell, sorry, and they went you about the season. You might be pronouncing it right. I have no clue. <laughs> but um, with that O-line, I mean, let's let's be real. Even if they get Chase and Joe Burrow gets another seasoning injury, the entire narrative is different in that uh, yeah. the Bengals are a debacle and that they completely uh, messed up their pick. But Chase has worked out, and... Joe Burrow isn't injured. We, I mean, we should give the we're we're, we're kind of harping on the Bengals here, or at least some of us are. Uh, we should give them credit. They're in the AFC title game. I think a lot earlier than anyone would have expected. That's true. But the goal is isn't to just make it to one AFC title game. It's to put yourself in position to contend every year and eventually win a Super Bowl. Getting Chase is a short term solution to get you. I mean, no one would have thought getting Chase would have been would have brought you to an AFC championship game. However, this seems to be the ceiling with your O line and. If they can uh, draft well and um, obviously go in the free agent pool and do pretty well with that, and over the next one or two years with the and fix the O line and maintain what they have um, for the rest of the team, this is a Super Bowl caliber, te- a Super Bowl favorite. Yeah, they're they're a few pieces away from being a Super Bowl favorite, and like you said, we're harping on the Bengals, but remember this team was four and eleven last year, right. and now they're in the AFC Championship. So, how, it's it's hard to hate from. You know, from that position. 
Let's talk about that game before we go to break here. Cincinnati, Kansas City. William, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I, I think Ryan Tannehill was exposed. I, I think certain things that, that the Titans coaching staff did was exposed. You go to the very first play of the game. You have Derrick Henry back for the first time, what was it, week seven or eight. And all the talk was, you know, if he's healthy, he's got to have the ball 20, 25, potentially upwards of 30 times and just grind that game out because you get in a, in a shootout with Joe Burrow and this Bengals team, and, and you're going to be in bad shape. And what do they do the first play? Play action, deep shot down the field, and Tannehill throws a bad pass. That's intercepted. They find themselves behind the eight ball. They're not able to establish the run the, the way that they wanted to. Henry had some nice runs, but it certainly – um, they were not able to get ahead of schedule, and they set up some third and longs that Tannehill was not made to do. They just did not play their game, and, and for a team that was the number one overall seed and got a bye, there was no reason why they should not have been playing their game on Saturday. Before we send this a break, let's real quick go through each of our picks for the AFC title game. And if anybody, uh, you know, is putting a little pizza money down or is looking for a pizza in this game, you can throw it. I, you know, I'm in town. I've, I've got I've to throw that out there. William, William, we'll start with you, your official pick, and if you got any pizza on the line. Well, I, I think winner first, it's, it's got to be the Chiefs and Arrowhead, their fourth straight AFC championship that's played in that stadium. Mahomes is, is pretty much unbeatable there. Um, but, but the line, if you're talking about pizza picks, it's, it's a touchdown. It's at seven points in favor of Kansas City right now. Nothing that we've seen from Cincinnati would make you want to count them out to that degree. So I think Cincinnati keeps it close, maybe within three or four points. So I would take maybe Cincinnati to cover, but the Chiefs to win. Yeah, if I'm putting pizza somewhere, I'm putting it on the points. Uh, over 54 and a half points. I think we're going to see a lot more offense again. Uh, you know, Cincinnati, I think, is an arguably worse defense than Buffalo. So I think we're going to see some points just like uh, they were in Week 17. You know, and who do you have winning the game, Matt? Oh, Chiefs. You're not beating Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> no. Um, if anyone's going to beat Patrick Mahomes, it was going to be Josh Allen. That didn't happen. So this just seems uh, set up for a third straight Super Bowl for the Chiefs. Um, I know football, anything could happen uh, on a given day, but I just don't think there's any way the Bengals can overcome the AFC's best defense and outduel Mahomes uh, and co. So, the game, again, the Bengals are an O-line away from being Super Bowl favorites, but I will take the Chiefs on the points, or I'll take the Chiefs uh, 34-16. Okay, ooh, all right, all right. I like the, the blowout pick there. I like the Chiefs as well, but like William said, Cincinnati, we've seen them hang in there with Kansas City in Week 17. I think the only reason this total is as low as it is is because it's a playoff game, because it's an AFC title game. I like the over. I like over 54.5 if I'm, if I'm going for some pizza here. And I like the Chiefs to head back to the Super Bowl for another season. So, we're going to jump, uh, take a quick break, and on the other side we'll talk NFC as well as Florida State men's basketball. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS, the voice of Florida State. And we're back on Tomahawk Talk, talking NFL playoffs, the divisional round. Everyone here is saying that it was probably the best week of weekend of football they've seen in a long time. We covered the AFC in the first half. If you missed it, you can check us out as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now moving into the NFC and William, this is where it's going to probably get a little tough for us. We've got Rams and Bucks. You were in attendance, so I'm kind of glad to hear what your perspective was being there. But this is a game that I was not expecting to at around half at the halfway point, even late into the fourth quarter, expecting to have any sort of strong emotions. I thought, bad day at the office for the Bucks. We know they don't match up well with the Rams. The Rams already beat them once in the regular season. It was the one team in last year's playoffs that I was worried about the Bucks matching up against. And they go up 27-3, to and it looks like Bucks, whether it be Tristan Wirfs being out at right tackle, Chris Godwin having a season-ending injury, Antonio Brown not being part of the offense, 
It just looked like this was going to be the end of the run for a team that I think was flawed, but had another had a chance to win a Super Bowl. With that being said, they come back and tie at 27-27. Ultimately lose the game on the last kick of the game. Matt Gay, as you said, walks it off after a bomb down the field as the clock ticked down from Matt Stafford to Cooper Cup. But William, looking at the game as a whole, what went wrong for the Bucks? The first thing, since you asked about perspective as a fan from Ray J, the number one thing I'll tell you, Buccaneers fans are no fan of Sean Hockley. Uh, <laughs> after, after those two, those two fouls in the, in the first half, even my dad was one of them screaming at, at the refs and uh, booing. There was a lot of chance. And I think th- those two fouls had a big impact on the game. There was a taunting on Adama Kinsu after like the very first quarterback pressure of the game, seemingly. And there was a roughing the passer, what should have been on Tom Brady, which instead ends up, you know, hit the first unsportsmanlike conduct of Tom Brady's career, uh, I guess, kind of arguing for the call. But to me, uh, how you got in that position, how you got down 27 to 3, it, it was the defense. And Todd Bowles has struggled against the Sean McVay offense. And the way they came out, they looked uh, uncharacteristic. They're, they're a cover zero, a man coverage pressure team. And the first couple of drives, Matt Stafford had all, all the time of day in, in the pocket sitting back there. There was no pressure. He was settling in, throwing downfield. And once he got in a rhythm, there was no turning back. And, and he really lit, lit the Bucks' defense up. For, for you know a half and, and maybe another quarter yeah I think it, the defense struggled early on they, they definitely stepped up in the second half but I look at the Bucks offensively and I look at Tom Brady specifically and it's been the case pretty much this entire season and Tom Brady don't get me wrong put together what I think a, a season worthy of the MVP award I think he is the odds on favorite to take it over Aaron Rodgers you look at the numbers he put up and what traditionally leads to voters picking up an MVP, I think it'll be Brady. But in the few losses this year for the Bucks, including yesterday, it's very clear from the first and second drive that, ooh, today's just not going to be his day. Yep. You saw it in Washington when they were on the road there. You saw it against the Saints, both games, same way as last season. It's not like one of those where, like, let's see if he can find it. And although he did put up over 300 yards, led the team on a great comeback that was fueled by some other big plays, he didn't have it yesterday. And I'm not going to say that he's washed. I'm going to say it because he just didn't have it. And it's not to say that if they had found a way to win that game, which they were pretty damn close to doing, he wouldn't have found it next week when they played San Francisco. But he didn't. And they were down 27-3. to And everybody's looking at, oh, why, why did the Bucks lose this game? And in just a second, we'll talk about that, that last Rams drive. Mm-hmm. Why did the Bucks lose this game? They lost this game because they went down 27-3. to And it is near impossible to come back. The only person to really have ever done it is Tom Brady in that Super Bowl against the Falcons. To do it again would have been uh, insane. And it took a lot of help from the Rams to even get them back in that position. A lot of help from guys like Florida State alum, Jalen Ramsey and and, uh, Cam Akers missing on some big plays. Uh, But ultimately, that's the end of the road for the Bucs. I want to talk big picture, Brady, Buccaneers, their future in just a second. But I want to go to our panel that last drive, Stafford able when he's blitzed, the Bucks blitz more than any team in the NFL. For over 40% of the time, they're sending a blitz. They do it on the last drive, leaving Cooper Cup the space to get past Antoine Winfield, put the Rams in the red zone. Why? Why that? Why would they do that? It's 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 baffling. You know who the ball is going to. You're sending the blitz. Who do you think Matt Stafford's going to look for first? He only has he only has time to go through one progression. He's going to his first look. He's going to Cooper Cup, and after. Cooper Cup has the season that he does, winning the Triple Crown of touchdowns, receiving yards, 
and catches, along with being a great pass blocker. It it's, it baffles me that, that that he wasn't guarded. Maybe he was, but you should almost be doubling him at that point. You know, it, it's it's stunning. It's stunning after having such a good comeback and the Rams doing everything that they could possibly do to lose that game, then for them to drive down the field so easily with such little time, it baffles me. Here's the thing. I understand the reasoning, right? The Bucks are a blitzing team. It's what won them the Super Bowl last year. Well, except, except in the actual Super Bowl game, they didn't have to blitz because that Chiefs offensive line was banged up and had backups in. But leading up to that point, playing against Washington and New Orleans and Green Bay, the Bucks bring in their unique blitz packages. It's what Todd Bull has been known for for a long time. That's their identity. And I've always been a proponent saying, don't move away from your identity in, in, in tough situations when it feels like you should. Stick to what you are, what got you there. With that being said, though, the Rams were not going to try and win that game unless the Bucks brought that pressure to give that space to Cooper Cup. Matt Stafford would have been happy to throw that ball away, to dump it off, or even to take a sack, let the clock expire, and everyone can try their best in overtime. The only reason he took that shot, he saw it immediately. As soon as Winfield stepped up, they were showing blitz, Cup had that lane to just blow right past him. Stafford's going to take that shot immediately. The best quarterback in the NFL this year under pressure has been Matt Stafford. It's why the Rams have been so successful. They've got a lot of great offensive pieces. They've got a pretty good offensive line. And when he's pressured, he's usually he's been the best at being able to make those throws. William, after the pandemonium that led to the comeback, the game being tied, what was it like in the stadium when that, when that field goal crossed the uprights and, and Matt Gay walked it off for the Rams? Oh, I mean, it felt like a gut punch, and as the comeback was was really coming to completion, there were fans that were leaving the stadium, and we had a couple of people sitting next to us that left with maybe five minutes left in, in the fourth quarter, and then they came back right before that pass to Cooper Cup. So there were people that were confused, that had thought we had no chance, and then all of a sudden they get reinvested back into the game. 27-all, you think, oh, we're going to overtime, Brady's got this. And then that pass to Cooper Cup and, and, and the field goal for Matt Gay was, was horrible. And you were talking about Stafford and, and Cup. Stafford admitted after the game that that route to Cup is never designed to get him the ball. That's how bad the Bucks had played that defensively. They're letting him run down the field. He's just supposed to be clearing out, and the Bucks aren't even playing enough coverage on the back end to clear anybody out. And he's running wide open free, and, and you lose a game like that that you really should have been going to overtime, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, uh, and, and real quick, we've got to move on, talk about these other games, because we've got to talk Florida State hoops. We had a big week last week. But Buck season's over. There's been some buzz about Tom Brady retiring, hanging it up. So real quick, rapid fire, we'll go through the panel. We'll start with William. Does Brady retire, and who will be, if he does retire, who will be the Bucks starting quarterback next season? Number one, I think Brady does retire. I know Arians is staying, and they're going to try and bring bring guys back, but that's my number one thing is Brady wants to win. If he's going to come back, it's to win. And I think for the second consecutive year, this team is getting a little bit worse. I know they brought all 22 back from the Super Bowl season this year, but you're going to lose a couple more guys, Fournette, Jensen, possibly even Godwin. Um, and, and I don't see how this defense is really going to, to improve. So if he's going to come back at age 45, I, I maybe they win the division. They would certainly be the favorite, but I don't know where the path is to the Super Bowl. There's also some stuff about his family that, that is worth discussion as well. Um, but 
I, I think he retires, and I think they, they stick with Blaine Gabbert. He knows the offense. Uh, I think he's looked good in limited action with Tampa Bay. Um, and it's not like he's he's lacking in arm talent. He was a top 10 pick himself of the Jaguars way back when. Um, so, so he's certainly got the talent there. So uh, I, I think it's the end of an era. Brady calls it a day, and, and the Bucks move forward. Who's under center next year for the Bucks? Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert. Ooh, that would, oh, be, that would oh, be something else. Yikes. Matt, is Brady is retiring? And if, if he is... Whether or not you think he is or not, who would be under center if he does retire? There is absolutely 0% chance Brady retires after the way this game, this ended. He is a proven winner. He wants to win. That's all he cares about. And you're telling me he's going to end on that? Tom Brady's coming back. He's going to try to end his career on a Super Bowl win. And I, I, until I see the word, until I see the tweet from Woj or anyone, <laughs> Woj. until I see it, it's from Schefter. I won't believe it because he is someone who just loves the game and he loves to win, and he's not going to end his career on non-win. But uh, if someone's at quarterback, give me give me Kyle Trask. Okay. Say. All right, the redshirt quarterback this year, the faux redshirt, was never activated for a single game. All right, Jack, is Brady retiring? He's not retiring, and I'll take every word that Matt said because I agree with 100% of that. Yeah, I, I'm feeling the same way. I think he's back. If he were to retire, I think maybe the Bucks go after a Derek Carr. I think he might fit really well in this Arians offense. If not, you've got Kyle Trask kind of, quote-unquote, waiting in the wings. I hope I hope it's not Blaine Gabbert, uh, but I guess that is a possibility. Let's move on to the other NFC Divisional Round game, San Francisco and Green Bay. In terms of the game, not a whole lot to talk about. We talked about some of these games that were highlighted by offense or defense. This one was a special teams battle uh, that ultimately made uh, Aaron Rodgers look disinterested and it paved the way for San Francisco 49ers, who are by far and away the worst offense out of the last four remaining teams. But they're one win away from the Super Bowl, and ultimately we could talk about the game, but I, I really want to focus on Aaron Rodgers because we do got to move on to Florida State Hoops in just a second. Aaron Rodgers, potentially his last game in Green Bay, and so I guess I'll go to you guys the same question I did about Brady, or a similar one at least. Was that Aaron Rodgers' last game for the Green Bay Packers? I think it was, and I'm actually going to use the same logic that I used for Brady. I think Rodgers sees the writing on the wall. This is a Packers team that needs a certain level of rebuilding or retooling, whatever term you want to use. They had a bunch of defensive players come back in this game, and uh, you know, certain times they were letting the team down. They've got no offensive weapons really outside of Devontae Adams, no matter what you want to say about some of those other guys. Um, he's been at odds with, with the front office of this team for years. And to go one and done at home against a wild card team, I think is really the, the, the exclamation point. I think he's going to say in this offseason, I need to be traded. I want to go somewhere else so I can finish my career potentially as a legitimate contender. And where does he go? I will say Denver. I'll, I'll, I'll say they make the move to get him. Is Rodgers back? And if not, where's he going, Matt? I think Rodgers is gone. Like William said, the writing's on the wall. He's been at, at odds with the front office and really – to have what arguably is the Packers' best team this year going into the playoffs. They were the Super Bowl favorite for them to collapse like they did. Again, I can't see Aaron Rodgers back at Lambeau next season. I will say that I think he could go to uh, Pittsburgh, and that team immediately becomes a Super Bowl favorite. Yeah, definitely. Jack? I am tossing and turning, potentially thinking about this one. My opinion is shifting as um, everyone here is talking about it. I'm going to say as a Bears fan for a long time, the guy who has been in my nightmares, has tortured me for years, I think, what's the worst nightmare? He's going to stay. I think he will stay despite <laughs> everything that, is, that has happened 
in the front office, and despite uh, what they lack in uh, on their team. If they are rebuilding, though, um, I think he will be gone, but I don't think they're rebuilding. So I think he will stay. However, if he was to go, I like the Denver call, and I like the Pittsburgh call. I There's probably another one that I'm not coming to my head, but I think Denver... The Bucks when Brady retires. There you go. Just Vegas, pick up... potentially, if they decide to move on from cars and other locations. There you go. Titans. Yeah. Titans, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So you th- you think he's staying? You're, I that's think at least he, what your your every all every previous experience of being a Bears fan is leading you. Mind is to telling say he's me, mind is telling me he's gonna go. Heart is telling me he's gonna taunt me or he's gonna torture <laughs> me. He I does think, not own me. I, I think that was his team. last game in a Packers uniform. But I don't think he'll be shooting up for anyone next year. I think he'll retire. Mm. I think there's been a lot of including memes over the weekend, a lot of Aaron Rodgers talk uh, that's not necessarily football related. And I think you know what. He's made his money. He's got his Hollywood uh, girlfriend or fiance or wife, whatever she is at this point. I think he'll ride off into the sunset after a terrible loss against the 49ers. Um, let's go real quickly. We're going to go straight to predictions for that NFC title game. You know, give me a give me a quick one sentence snippet. Who you think what what you think is going to go down, and who's going to win? And if you've got any pizza plays, you can throw that out as well. It's Boy. simple. Shanahan owns McVay. Since 2019, the Rams are 0-6 against San Francisco. I don't care that they're on the road. They're going to take over that stadium. Give me the Niners to advance to the Super Bowl. All right. I'm going to take the opposite look. Uh, it's Super Bowl or bust right here for the Rams. They've got their whole draft for the next 10 years is gone. This is the year. If they're going to win, they need to win now. Uh, give me the Rams with minus 3.5. Now, I've been one who to talk about the NFC West Raw Paper Scissors, and that is in favor of the 49ers. However, these are the games where they typically tend to break. I can't see I can't see uh, the 49ers offense doing anything good against that powerful Rams defense. And while the 49ers have a really good defense, Matthew Stafford showed he can prove that he's capable to make it to the Super Bowl. So I'm going to take the Rams 26-16 over the 49ers. I went with the over in the last game. I think this one is going to be a polar opposite. I think you saw what San Francisco was not able to do offensively in the last game. I think the Rams' defense, they shut down the Bucks for a good chunk of that last game, and a lot of the points they did let off maybe weren't necessarily their fault. I've got the Rams winning this one. I think they cover that 3.5-point spread. And how about a 2-for-1 deal? Let's also go with the under. little meat lovers on this side, a little Supreme Pizza on this side. We'll have a big old pizza party after the NFC Championship. I like the Rams in the under. All right, let's go into Florida State men's basketball. First place in the ACC after wins at home against Duke and on the road against Miami. Before we start, I don't know if we have a lot of time for debate on this, but I've got to give my opinion out on the air. If I wasn't hosting tonight, I was going to plan on calling in around the halfway point and and, and sharing my my piece here. Uh, But I'm not holding anything against any student that stormed the court in that home win against Duke. But I don't think it was warranted. You know... Florida State, we call ourselves the New Bloods. We were ranked second in the coaches' poll behind Duke. or the, Not the coaches' poll, the ACC preseason poll done by the coaches. We've beaten Duke at home before. This Florida State team has been to three straight Sweet 16s. They won this conference two years ago. They have national title aspirations. They recruit at the same level as Duke now. Maybe not as quite, quite as good, but they want to be Duke. So why are we storming the court against a home win uh, a home win against Duke I don't know if you want to debate me you can either call in after the show or I'm sure you guys will give me a piece of your mind after this we do got to move on though because I want to talk about that win at Miami that catapulted them into first place 
after a great week. It was a pretty bad start to the season for Florida State, or at least below expectations. But, Jack, you were down in Coral Gables mm-hmm. for that game. First off, uh, just talk to me about that game, what that experience was like. Um, I've been, now that I've been to uh, that stadium, the Watsco Center, and I've seen the Donald Tucker Civic Center, um, the Watsco Center does lack in energy. It is a lot smaller. That's uh, our, The Civic Center here can get bouncing. Uh, not so much there. There's a lot of war chants that were confused with some expletives. Very <laughs> confusing, apparently, on TV. Everyone thought the Hurricanes were doing the war chant. They just wanted to be FSU. But um, the experience, um, it, was, it was rough if you were a Florida State fan, uh, especially with that huge, huge lead at the half where uh, Miami put up, only put up 19 points. And, I mean, if, if I had not gone through that Falcons experience, I would have thought that game was over too and done and dusted. <laughs> However, um, to counter that 19 points that Miami put up in the first half, FSU only puts up 18. And it was one of the most nerve-wracking games uh, to be a part of. And the atmosphere did pick up, um, but you had the chan- they had the chance to put it away, and they didn't. Missed, missed the shot, hit goes off the rim. FSU is now uh, kings of the ACC for the time being, but uh, very, very good win, uh, very good week, very good couple weeks now, very good for uh, the Knolls, and now they just gotta, now they just gotta coast for a little bit against not high caliber ACC teams and uh, see where they can go from there. I'm gonna critique not uh, again. Florida State's winning. They've turned this season around. It was a season that I thought they were NIT bound at best. Now they've got themselves, at least in the bubble, but I think really in a good spot, the way the rest of the schedule looks to go on and, and get to the NCAA tournament. Coach Hamilton, he's, he's always going to play a deep rotation. It doesn't really matter what the roster looks like, what situation they're in. That's his coaching mentality, and fair enough, he's had a lot of success doing it. But I look at this year's roster, and while there's talent throughout, the talent isn't as potent as in previous years. I look at this team, I see six players, maybe seven, that should be in this rotation game in, game out. Maybe you switch you know, for those eight and nine guys, depending on who you're playing. But I'm looking at John Butler, Raekwon Evans, Anthony Polite, Caleb Mills, Malik Osborne, who was God-right-awful on Saturday, and mm-hmm. he's still coming back from injury, I think, a little too soon. And that definitely goes into it. He was one for ten from the field, had, I think, four or five fouls. Well, he wouldn't, he, I think he had yeah, four fouls, 0 for 2 from 3. Uh, but I look at him and Matthew Cleveland. Those are your guys that need to pick up this as a excuse me, a substantial amount of minutes moving forward and maybe cut minutes away from guys like Wyatt Wilkes and maybe away from guys like Jalen Worley, who I know is probably going to be a bit more of a development project. I don't think he'll be a one-and-done. I think you'll have him here for at least one more year. Maybe he picks up more minutes then. But I've seen guys like John Butler and Raekwon Evans. Evans, who I will give credit to, I talked a lot of trash about Raekwon Evans because he was not a good basketball player in years past. This year, he's been absolutely incredible at the one Caleb Mills they finally found a guy that can score for them anywhere on the floor that was something they lacked early on in the season I see every day every game they take the court the recipe to win and I want to focus on the guys that will get them to that point and and, and maybe not as many minutes for for some of the guys on the bench William what are your thoughts on, on this Florida State team and where they're at right now in this point of the season well I think I would agree with what you said that that coach Hamilton deserves a lot of credit um uh, a team that's certainly lacking stars, but it is playing like just that, a team. Uh, they're, they're getting collaborations from, from a lot of different guys on this roster. And I also want to compliment the team on having a great week. Not only was it a strong win on Tuesday and really exciting 
and, and potentially season defining. But you turn around basically a day later against North Florida at noon on a, you know Thursday afternoon, and they played well. I know it was closer than some people thought, but they take care of business in that game. And then you know three games in basically what was it five or six days? You got to go down to Coral Gables to face a team that desperately wants nothing more than to beat you on their court, and they gave you everything that you could handle. In the second half, and you still come away with a victory, three and zero on the week. This is a strong team that that's playing consistently right now, and that's what it's going to take. Yeah, no, I agree with you, William. I think the Miami game uh, was a summary of the season, a tale of two halves, if we should to say. That team in the first half is what FSU has the potential to be if they're playing good defense, firing on all cylinders, and taking good care of the ball. And that team in the second half is that NIT team that you were talking about, Brett. Um, you know, three turnovers in the first half for FSU, then to have 14 turnovers in the second half. It's, it's just a, t- a tale of two teams, you know, and they need to find some consistency. And I think they've started to, but we saw it. We saw it last, last game. I, I agree with you. I will say, however, on the road, especially against a Miami team that is pretty good this year. We've seen them beat Duke. We've seen them almost beat Florida State. To come away with a road win, even with that, that, that failed comeback from Miami, I'm okay with it. You know, it's really tough. We know this team isn't a top 10 team in the country. We probably think they're going to be, they should be ranked, and we'll talk about that in a second. But to, to put together 40 great minutes of basketball is, is hard to ask. The fact that they were able to build up such a lead by playing, again, it was such a perfect game, it felt like, in the first half. That was probably the best basketball they've played all season. You build that cushion for when my for when Miami when they go on their run and maybe you can't hit your shots anymore. You've got that cushion built in where you can give up that many points in the second half and and still not lose the game. So I'll give them a pass. If it becomes a trend, then yeah, I think we got a lot to, a lot to worry about with this team and, and their viability moving forward. Ultimately, I think they're in a good spot now. AP poll comes out today. Florida State receiving votes for the first time in a while. I think probably since the first poll or two in the season. Uh, but ultimately, don't crack the top 25. Jack, what's it going to take for them to, to break into the poll? Well, it's probably going to be, a, uh, especially with a weaker schedule coming ahead, just you have you have to win. You have no – if they lose the likes of maybe George Tech or VT coming up, uh, that, that, that will uh, really dump their chances. They have the chance to beat uh, – it, it always seems to be a dark horse for really any sport, uh, Virginia Tech – and if on primetime on ABC at 3 p.m., if they could handle business there, and obviously if they can, if they don't fall to GT in Atlanta, I don't see why this team can't crack into the top 25 and receive uh, the votes required to. But I mean, you can get in the top 25, and that's great. But can you sustain it throughout the entire season? Um, I, I think they can maybe last in for a little bit, but you, we got to see because again, such an up and down season. Where are we at the peak? Is it going to drop at some point? We don't know. Um, but if they can sustain uh, how they're doing and keep winning during this dry, during a um, weaker schedule, I think they should be built to uh, qual- do well in the ACC tournament and then go on to do well in the bracket. I'm looking ahead to their next four games. You're at Georgia Tech this week. You're at home against Vatek. You're at Clemson playing at the Little John, another good Clemson team this year. And then you're at home against Wake Forest, who's got a good team. I, I think you're looking at your goal for these four games you got to win three of them. And I think you win the two at home, and if you can split the at Georgia Tech and at Clemson, you go through these four games, and you're thinking, okay, we did all right. You know, maybe we lose some ground in the ACC champ. you know, going for the ACC championship, which is the ultimate goal for me as a fan. I want them to win the ACC in the regular season. I don't care what happens in the ACC tournament. 
getting it done in this ACC regular season, even when the ACC is in a down year, and that's what everybody's going to say if Florida State finds success in this league this year, that's what gets it done. That's what gets you into the tournament, gets you a high seed, puts you in a good spot to make a run to the Final Four. William, given everything we know about this team and the rest of the schedule moving forward, close out the show here. What is the outlook for this team? Are they a tournament team, and what's the ceiling for them? I think that if they continue playing like they are right now, like a team, cohesively, um, you know, starters, bench, moving the ball well, good chemistry, I think they're a team that could finish, you know, potentially in the top three of the ACC and hopefully win at least two or three games in the ACC tournament. And I see them anywhere from maybe a, a five to eight seed in the NCAA tournament. I, I think right now, yeah, I, I, for a while I thought, you know, they're going to be a 9 seed in the tournament if they get in, or, or a 12 seed if they're going to be on the bubble. I think they're headed towards that 8 or 9 seed. And while that doesn't sound like the best outlook, you know, we saw them a couple of years ago come in as an 8 seed, or uh, 8 or a 9, they beat Missouri, then go on to beat uh, number 1 seed Xavier in the tournament, that Chris Mack-led team, and they still continue to give Chris Mack nightmares. Ultimately, I think this is a tournament team now. After seeing them, they, they really seem to be putting it together. In, in all the areas that they struggled in earlier in the season. I think it's going to be a really fun rest of the way for Florida State men's basketball. Well, that's going to do it for this week's Tomahawk Talk. Uh, I'm, I'm Brett Rutherford filling in for Gabe Tisnes. I know you got to hear him last week. I think he'll be back in the seat next week. Uh, but for our producer, Scott Clemens, our Twitter guy, AJ LaCourcier, our panel, uh, Jack Oliero, Matt Povtak, and our, my co-host, William Haynes, I'm Brett Rutherford, and this was Tomahawk Talk. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.